This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Today we're talking about the dreaded B word. Yes, today we're talking about budgeting. Budgeting is such a critical foundational piece of your personal finance life and your financial success. So I was so excited to bring on an expert in all things budgeting And I'm fairly confident that you have heard of him before. But before we dive into today's guest background and all the things that you're going to learn, I have to share with you my favorite segment, our hashtag money wins. Today's money one comes from Zuri from the private Facebook group, Manage Your Money Like a Boss, which I would love to have you in there and just come say hi. Let us know what you're working on and just support your fellow money nerds. It's really a great place to be. Okay, here's what Zuri said. I set a one-year New Year's goal to get my credit over 700 again. I really had a lot of debt. My credit utilization was in the 80 percentile after Christmas season. Not alone, my friend. Not alone. That's so common, too. It was really affecting my mood so much that I felt really depressed and stressed because me, my wife, and son are planning to make a cross-country move in 2021, and with that amount of debt, I felt so behind. Congrats on the move, though. So after I set the goal, I really went in. All my extra money went to debt. My whole tax return went to debt. Then when COVID-19 came about and forced us inside, I found myself having extra money because I was no longer eating out, going out and working from home. And even after things kind of opened up, I kept at it. And now here I am six months later, well over 700. I feel really good about this. It's such a relief. Going forward, I'm never letting my credit card usage get so high again. I will stay below the 15% mark 
and pay everything off immediately. I'm really financially confident now. Hashtag money wins. Zuri, you are such a rock star. Congratulations to you and all of your hard work. I think you posted a picture as well, and you're listing at like over 750 for your credit score. So congrats to you. That's super, super awesome. And staying below that 15% mark is definitely going to keep your credit score growing. So I am super proud of you and all of your hard work that you, your family, and your son have made to get your fa- your family into a better position. So congrats to you. I was cheering you on when I saw that money win in the group. All right, guys, don't forget, if you want to share your money win with me, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or you can even shoot me an email, Whitney at WhitneyHansa.com. I love hearing all the cool things that you're up to and being your biggest cheerleader. So please share anything that you're excited about. I'm excited about too, and I will definitely be cheering you on. All right, let's dive into today's guest. Jesse Meekum is the founder of YNAB, or You Need a Budget. It's the number one personal budgeting app that helps hundreds of thousands of people who want to gain control of their money, get out of debt, and even save more. YNAB was founded in 2004 when Jesse was in college. Yeah, he was in college. Could you imagine founding a company when you're in college? And today, the company YNAB has over 100 employees. Jesse wrote a Wall Street Journal bestseller book all about budgeting. It's linked in the show notes, so make sure you go check it out. And this I thought was pretty cool, too. He's got seven kids, and that's what he claims he's most proud of. So every day feels like an adventure to him. He definitely is the definition of being able to navigate all kinds of crazy life circumstances from being in college to having a large family to starting a company. I think he's a really great expert to talk about budgeting and how that can change and how that can pivot over our lives. In this episode, we talk about how Jesse initially started YNAB while he was in college, the car registration fee that caught him off guard and taught him a really powerful budgeting lesson, how you can reveal financial priorities through scarcity of money. I love, love, love this role. Why budgeting is putting intentionality behind all of your purchases, getting away from that paycheck to paycheck mindset, why more money does not necessarily result in a better financial situation, and the power behind simply reviewing your spending habits. I am so excited for you guys to listen into this episode. I know I definitely took a lot away and I think you will too. And I know there's a lot of YNAB fans that listen. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear this side of the company too. All right, let's go ahead and dive into today's guest. And I'm going to turn it over to Jesse Meekum. Wait, before we dive into this episode with Jesse, I just need you to do me the biggest favor. If you are thinking of somebody when you're listening to this episode, send them this directly and let them listen in too. Maybe they've been struggling with budgeting and they don't know where to do next. It's always so helpful to get this episode in front of more people. It means the world to me, to Jesse, and whoever listens in, it might change their life. You never know. All right, now back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I know there are a ton of you that love You Need a Budget. In fact, I know this because you have all told me that it's incredible software. So I'm excited to chat with Jesse Meekum today. Jesse, thank you so much for hanging out. Absolutely. I'm excited to. Well, okay. So I'm super interested in how you started the business because to my understanding, it was when you were in college. Is that the case? Yeah, I was uh, I actually still had about three years left to wrap up a master's degree in accounting. So lots of school still looming for us when we started it. That's amazing. So you created this from your own personal problems, right? You were having a hard time finding budgeting software. Is that the case? Well, honestly, we were having a hard time finding money. That was the real, that was the real reason. But we, uh, yeah, we, we ended up, uh, I marrying pretty early. Um, and so I was 22. 
when uh, Julie and I got married. And then we also decided to have a baby pretty soon. And and Julie was really keen, or I was too, on being able to leave her job once the baby came. <laughs> and so we had a reduction in her income. And then we also were dealing with the fact that I still had lots of school left. I could only work part time. And uh, we had been using this little spreadsheet that I had made just for the two of us. And uh, of course, everything was perfect because we were newlyweds and, you know, you could do no wrong. So we were just budgeting away and, you know, keeping track of our meager finances. But I had the idea. I thought, well, maybe, you know, this is spreadsheet has helped us. Maybe I could sell this and um, shore up the, the extra that we needed each month to be able to get through school without Julie having to still worry about earning money and without me having to borrow money to finish school. So that was the start of it. We just needed to make ends meet. That's amazing, man. How did you initially sell this spreadsheet? What was your, your delivery method there? Well, initially it didn't sell at all, to be honest, but, um, we went online for it. I, I learned how to build website, you know, little web pages. This was back before you had all the fancy stuff now. So, um, if WordPress was a thing, I didn't know about it. Um, I just slapped like a PayPal button up there and when people would buy it, I would email them the spreadsheet. You know, really, really uh, manual. Very manual. That's <laughs> awesome, though. Yeah, there were fo- so few sales that it was quite, you know, it scaled quite nicely because there were there were so few. But we started to kind of figure it out and figure out what was resonating with people. And we sold just the, the spreadsheet for about a year and a half. And then um, during that time, it, it funded the ability for us to pay uh, my now business partner, Taylor, to build actual software. And, uh, so that, that software was our, that was the real start, right? The, mm-hmm. the spreadsheet was almost like proof of concept. Does this work? Can it, you know, can it make money? And, um, I'll, I'll never regret it because that is what taught us that we had four rules that were really what made the spreadsheet unique, not the spreadsheet itself. That was pretty, mm. I mean, anyone could, you know, replace that. I don't know, in 20 hours of, you know, hard work with Excel or something, but, um, but it highlighted for us the method, the way of thinking. And that was what was really giving people the success. I love that. We're definitely going to dive into those four rules as well. But I'm kind of curious, how was money talked about when you were a kid? Um, it, not a lot in front of us. So I, I was like, I, my dad uh, was an attorney, just retired a few years ago and, um, you know, did pretty well, kind of middle, middle income. Sure. And um, my mom was a stay at home mom, which was awesome. And I just remember... I, I never worried about, you know, where, where's money going to come from? Or if I open the fridge where there'll be food ever, not one time as a kid, um, which is a huge blessing, you know? Um, but at the same time, there were some tense moments that even as a little kid, you kind of notice like, Oh, this isn't, uh, there's some friction here, Mm -hmm. but also you don't, you know, you lack that lens of having your own marriage, your own experiences looking back now, I, I see it for what it was at the time, you know, you're just kind of like, Oh, mom and dad are, uh, mad, you know, about something yeah. you, you lack a little bit of the depth in perceiving that. But, um, my dad was also, he was very keen on having me learn about money early. He gave me the millionaire next door when I was maybe 14 or something. He gave Whoa. me Dave Ramsey's financial piece. He's like, Hey, you should read this. And I, I, for some reason, I really liked the topic. I mean, I, I would also read about, you know, Navy seals and, and Marines and stuff, but I'd, I'd pull in a book about, uh, money and, and it resonated with me. Um, I, I liked the topic. I, yeah. So he, he was pretty keen on the idea of uh, richest man in Babylon. That was actually the first one he gave me. So, um, 
And we would talk about it in that way. He would teach me, you know, you always got to save a little bit, always save a little. So I think he did a pretty good job. Um, he kind of seemed to be the, the, the force in that way, as far as like explicit education around money. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom, she, she just kind of did her thing, you know, she took care of us in all the other thousands of ways. So they were a good team. And I, I, I feel like I had a good financial education from my parents. All That's things so cool. I love that. Now, what was the draw for accounting? My undergrad was in accounting and it was not for me, my friend, but I'm curious what drew you yeah. into that profession. So it's super romantic story. I noticed I went to Brigham Young University and I noticed that the job placement for accountants was like 99.8%. Yep. So I just thought, oh, that's that's it. I also was really uh, I really wanted to finish school fast. So when I started school, I had I hadn't done any school at all and I was a late starter. So I start school at 21 and I wanted to do this master's degree that was a five year deal. And I ended up doing it in four years and just kind of going around the clock, you know, spring, summer, the whole deal. Um, I just wanted to be done. So I didn't delay in choosing what I wanted to do. And I just got right on it. And I, I liked the education part of it. But when I actually got to work at a big fancy accounting firm down in Dallas, I only lasted 10 months. That was that was not for me. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I totally hear that. I did the same thing. I lasted two years in public accounting and very happily walked away. It was not for me. Yeah, you, well, you have much more grit than I do, apparently. So I didn't make <laughs> well, it. Well, we'll call it grit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. One of the things that I always hear, Jesse, I love that you shared your background. I appreciate that. Tell, yeah. tell us, a lot of people really truly feel that they don't need a budget that budgeting is one of those things that you only do if you're struggling financially or if you don't earn enough money. Do you hear that myth as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. It, you know, you'll get the, I don't earn enough to even have it matter. You'll get, I don't spend money anyway. I love that one. Yeah. Like that's, it's hilarious. Um, or you'll get people saying like, I, you know, I've tried it and it doesn't work. And that's just because they've, they've done it all wrong. But yeah, they're, they're rampant. They feel like it'll be restrictive. Um, everybody's budgeting every because a budget is just doing you like what are you doing with your money that's your budget so um if you're just spending it on whatever on a whim that that's your budget you know that's what you're doing um i just want people to be more intentional with their budget but everybody budgets everybody they're just uh, doing it in ways that don't get them what they really want necessarily yeah, no, I, I totally respect that, too. And I think it's really important that we talk about some of those rules of budgeting, because how many people use your software now? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you, honestly, we've, uh, we're in the millions as far as just people we've taught through workshops through online. I mean, we've been doing this for 16, gosh, 16 years. So Whoa. Um, we, we have a track record, right? And um, we're, we're starting to really learn what we're doing, what this is actually about. And, uh, it's, it's really more about, um, behavior change, about perspectives being shifted, about people looking at things with a little bit of a different paradigm. It's very, very little about the actual software. If you really get down to it. I love that you, you shared that. Cause I think a lot of people feel like they're one app away from changing their life. And I think apps are incredible and they're helpful and they can really be a tool for facilitation for like deeper conversation and self-exploration there. But mm -hmm. it, it all comes down to that behavior change. And that's the hardest part. So like when you, when you and your wife were just getting started into this process, how did you get that behavior change? 
Well, you know, the, this is a bit of a cop out, but um, we didn't have any baggage as far as money and our relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, we joined forces. We just said, we'll just all combine into one account. And um, I said, here's this spreadsheet that I started building. And uh, do you want to just record every time we spend money? And we did. And so, you you know, you bring up the spreadsheet and literally type in like $10 in groceries or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And um, that the as we learned over the next several months, that was when our our four rule method kind of started coming out, because I distinctly remember we, we owned a Chevy Prism. We had, we didn't own a car before we got married, but we bought the car a few months after. And it was this 98 Chevy Prism. Great car. And a year later, they, the state of Utah contacted us and said, you owe us uh, registration fees. You know, you have to do this. Oh, wow. And I'd never owned a car in my life. And, and I was like, I thought I paid these registration fees when I bought the car. I know I did. And I was confused for a moment. And then I realized, oh, the state wants you to pay every single year for the car. And at the time, I think it was like $112 or something. It wasn't it to us now. I wouldn't blink for a $112 surprise right. back then. It was, I mean, our, our grocery budget for the month was 120. So 112 was a big deal. And we scrambled and moved things around, which is also part of budgeting. But the part that I realized was, oh, if we have these larger, less frequent expenses that are going to come every year, we need to be setting aside for them as we go. And that was where we came up with that second rule. We call it embracing your true expenses. It's just looking ahead and saying, well, what are the big things that are coming up? And for us, $112 was big. So we'd started setting aside about 10 bucks every month. And it's like, I'm never going to be surprised by that bill again. Yeah. And we started even doing that for Christmas and just the, those larger expenses that people say they always surprise them. They're always surprised that their car needs a repair, but there hasn't ever been a car made, you know, hopefully one year, you know, there will be, but every car needs repairs always. Yeah. And we act like it's not true. So we just iterated along and we didn't have a lot of the baggage that comes with, um, unlearning behaviors. But, um, yeah, we can definitely dive in deep in that if you'd like to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So you you mentioned the four rules, and I love the idea of the true expenses. I think that's a a killer place to start because, yeah, like Christmas comes up every year. But for some stinking reason, we're like, oh, wait, like how did this sneak up on me? Yeah. What is this we're doing? I know, right? Is this a holiday? What is it? (laughs) I think it's so entertaining. One of the things that really got us um, that we try and rewire people on right out of the gate is when they think budgeting or they're like, okay, I mean, they're motivated for some reason, some event took place and now they're motivated and they say, okay, I'm going to do this. When we start with them, they always want to say what will happen. This is what I will earn. This is what I will spend. And that is not what we want. We want only what you have on hand right now to get started. Our first rule is to give every dollar a job, but you cannot give a job to a dollar unless you have that dollar in your possession and we're strict on this like it means if you're getting money tomorrow you'll either start budgeting tomorrow or you'll budget today what you have and tomorrow you'll do it again but you don't want to start with this whole oh i will earn this therefore now here's how i'll plan my money Mm. because it it lets people um solve the issue of trade-offs and running out of money so if you have three hundred dollars and you budget just that then you'll say, oh, well, in five days, I get a check for 2000 because I'm getting paid or whatever. Immediately, the scarcity of the $300 is lessened, and we don't want that, because you're also now projecting, well, we'll get 2000 soon. 
So we'll put that in and we'll start making these decisions with 2000 plus the 300 we actually have. And we don't want that at all. We want just the 300 because when you run out of money, which we're always trying to do with rule one, we're trying to have you run out of money, give every dollar a job until you're down to zero dollars that can be given any other job. Mm -hmm. And we're introducing that artificial scarcity. That's when people start knowing what they want to do with their money next. As soon as you start running out, your priorities really come to light and you really see like, oh, I do care about A more than B and C certainly more than D. Where before, when you can just keep introducing new money, oh, I'll earn this later, I'll earn this later, you never get to that feeling of running out. Mm. And that, that's one of the reasons we hate debt so much is not because it's some moral problem um, at high levels, perhaps it is, but at the individual level, level the, the debt really just allows you to walk past running out of money without having that scarcity show you what you really truly care about. So that that's one of the biggest wires that we look for first to try and cut and then and then resplice in a new way. I, I love that you mentioned this and I fully agree with you, my friend. Like I'm one hundred percent on board. <laughs> but I know there's always somebody that says, But Jesse I don't want to have a scarcity mindset. I want abundance. I want to feel like I constantly yes. have money. How do you combat that? Yeah, when you're when you're planning and when you're scheming and dreaming, you totally go abundance. It's just like there is there is a spot for me in this world. I will carve out a place. I will make money. I will create. It's all abundance. But when it comes to what you actually have right now, you completely flip it around. Mm. Because you're still dealing with reality. When I'm planning and scheming and dreaming and setting goals, I'm allowed to deal not in reality. That's how you, that's how you get there. But when it comes to actual resource allocation, you have to deal only and explicitly in reality. Once my dreams are realized and I've doubled my income over some period of time, yes, absolutely. Now we're dealing with a less scarce reality. But at the same time, we're always going to be driving back to zero. Because we always want to know that every dollar that we're sending off to do that thing, that thing is what we actually care about. And the only way that you can really test that is by, is by pitting them and saying, well, if I do this, I can't do this. If I buy this new, uh, I don't know, this new drill set that I really want, I won't be able to fund this vacation three months from now. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a legitimate equation. Most of us are trying to just decide, can I afford this? Should I buy this? without the counterpoint of asking ourselves, well, if I buy this, what can I not buy? Yeah. It's, it's just like, well, I just want it, therefore I'm buying it. Well, that's good, wanting it is, is a totally valid reason, but because you want it and will buy it, what are you not going to get instead? And that's what we want, because a lot of the times what happens is they're saying, oh, my friends invited me out, we're going to sushi, it cost me, I don't know, 90 bucks. Well, did you know that when you went out to sushi, you were foregoing being ready for that once a year bill. Yeah. And they're like, no, I, well, what, you know, how does that work? But if we can present both options simultaneously, then when your friends, great friends that they are, invite you to sushi, you can say like, mm, sushi, maybe not, let's do pizza mm -hmm. because I've got this bill coming up, right? So we're presenting people with always with choices. And most of the time we aren't presented with those choices. It's just, uh, do I want it? And how much is in my bank account? Therefore, I'll get it. And the bank account numbers, that's the, that's the biggest liar of all. It just lies to you constantly. You know? I, I so, love this. I'm, I'm very intrigued with the idea of opportunity costs and trade-offs. And I think, I mean, you're right. Everything comes at the expense of something else. You say yes to one thing, you're inherently saying no to something else. I know for a lot of people, it's really hard 
to even think that way because we live in such a, oh man, it's like such an instant gratification society. So is there like, do you have any like tips or like little weird hacks that help people start to think through more of those trade-offs in a more appropriate manner? Yeah, the way, you know, we have these four rules, but we call rule zero a lot of the time is really figuring out what you truly want. And I think to have people sit down away from money for a little while and you just got a, a, you know, a pencil and paper, don't do a computer because then you'll be, you'll be Googling like, what should I want? You know, like you'll <laughs> yeah. be going on this like information thing. So we want to keep away from all that and just be like, okay, truly, like, what do you want? And just start writing things down. If you're working with, you know, you're sharing finances with a partner, you do that together. What do you truly want? Not about money. Just, well, I want my kids to be safe. I want my kids to be healthy. I, you know, I, I want to travel, whatever. So you have those things listed. We have not talked about money at all, but you can start to stack rank them and figure out what really, truly matters. And what's interesting is if you start to do that, you'll say like, I want shelter. Cool. Everybody does at some, some level. And you also say, I want travel. And then as you start to assign the money you're actually spending to those things, some people will have the realization like, whoa, we're spending way too much over here. And that's like 19th on my list, right. but it's keeping me from getting to fifth and the sixth and the seventh spots. So we, we're very um, priority agnostic here at YNAB. So uh, it's very hard to get me to say, I don't think you should buy that because I really don't care what you're using your money for as long as you are being honest with yourself that that is truly what you want. Yeah. And, and, and then people can... Really, at the end of the day, people are their own best financial advisors. They just have to be presented with the information in the right way. And that's why in our software, or how, however you choose to do it, it doesn't have to be our software, sure. but you, you look at all of it, and it's all just trade-offs. Like, do I want to go out to eat? You know, do I want to go out to eat every day for work? Or do I want to, uh, I, I'm on a woodworking kick, so I keep thinking about woodworking examples. Like, <laughs> or do I want a new table saw in a year, you know? And suddenly the person's like, well, geez, I do want the table saw a lot more than lunch every day for work. And they change their behavior. And it's not because you shouldn't go out to eat every day for lunch. The person just wants something else more. That's, right. That's all a budget is, is just being clear about what you really, truly want. Uh, just a little more intention is all. I love it. I think, I mean, I could not agree more. You're, you're saying all the things that I want everybody to hear. So this is, <laughs> this is good for me too. <laughs> I'll try and say something controversial. Woodworking. That could up. be. <laughs> um, okay. So you've mentioned the two rules and then you've got two more that you learned the hard way. So what was the third rule for you? The third rule actually came pretty quick and it was that we call it rolling with the punches, but, um, you should change your budget whenever you want just mm. for any, any reason you find valid. For some reason, these same people that 20 minutes before were like, ah, oh, budgets don't work, but you convince them and they get motivated and they finally start their budget and they decide I'm going to spend only you know, this much on groceries. And now suddenly I'm just this frugal ninja that can just hack my way through to saving half of my income or whatever. Like they, they're just totally in pretend mode. And they set this extremely restrictive budget, not acknowledging any kinds of habits or environmental cues or anything. And then what do they do? They overspend like in 24 hours. And then they're saying, oh, the budget doesn't work. It's I can't believe it. And uh, that's just completely false. A budget is just a plan. And when you get new information like, oh, I actually don't spend only $150 in groceries. I needed 300. Who would have thought that's just new information? And we, we liken it a lot of the time to like a coach 
uh, prepping for a football game or something. They do all this work. They have game film of their opponent. They're just digging in. It's like, okay, we're going to do this, this. Here's how we'll counter that. And you have like uh, the offensive coordinator sitting up in the box watching. And as soon as the game starts, as soon as it starts, they're making adjustments. And that's exactly how it is with budgeting. As soon as the month or the week or the paycheck or however you're budgeting, as soon as it starts, just be ready to adjust as needed. And that's, that's part of budgeting is changing it. And we'd be screaming and throwing things at a TV uh, if we didn't think our coach was adjusting to things as he or she saw it unfold, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the rule. It's weird that you have to make a rule saying, hey, that plan you just set, you can change it. It's your plan. But people feel like they've failed mm -hmm. if they didn't guess right on how much they would spend somewhere. I love that. I, I think you're, you're spot on. It's like it, the plans do change and they should change as we get new information. I see a lot of people almost use a budget as kind of like a cop out or like an scapegoat. Oh, budgeting doesn't work. So I'm just going to quit because it doesn't work. And it's yeah. almost like not taking that personal responsibility of, I mean, they do work. Obviously they work. You've built an entire business showing people how they can make it work for their lives. But for some reason, we it almost seems like we're looking for somebody to blame. Yeah, I think so. They're, they're at least hanging on to some preconceived notions of what that might look like. Um, a budget is not about limiting what you spend. It's about putting intention behind what you spend. That's mm -hmm. it. So I spend a lot of money on things that I really like. We, to go back to the woodworking example, I, and I want to spend even more. And as soon as the budget will, like my other priorities, my other trade-offs, as soon as they allow it, I'm right back in there thinking, okay, I got to get something else. I, I need a new tool, you know, mm -hmm. because I love it. And I've had other loves in the past where I spent plenty of money doing things purely because I wanted to. And that the budget allows you to guilt-free indulge yourself. I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. There are lots of things that I won't spend a dime on. I think they're an absolute waste of money. I won't say them out loud because they might be for someone else, something that they really truly care about. But there are things where I just think, no way, not going to do it. Nope. And uh, for someone else, it scratches every itch they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So the budget allows me to not feel guilty when I do get that table saw after saving up for it. And then it's just an absolute joy, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's sad when you have you know, family go on vacation and the whole time the, you know, the parents are sitting there thinking, oh, geez, how are we going to pay this off? How are we going to pay this back? We're still paying on last year's vacation or last year's Christmas or whatever it is. That's sad. Mm -hmm. You know, you should be able to enjoy it. My word, you work so hard for the money. You're so strategic about your career, how you spend your time, career advancement, you know, making sure that you're climbing the ladder. I mean, spending so much time, so much investment, political, social, all this capital that you're given to like this job. And then as soon as that effort is turned into money, you're like, ah, eh, whatever. I don't even care. Yep. It's like, that's a strange way. Just because the resource changed shape, uh, you know, suddenly you don't care about it. I don't know. Yeah. Seems a little off to me. So we just try and get people to care a little more, put mm -hmm. a little more intention behind stuff. I think that's like truly the secret too is just be intentional. Like spend your money yeah. in line with your values and you'll find some type of success. Um, so tell me a little bit about rule four. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a different rule because you don't have to really do anything to start following it. But we call it aging your money. And we're really trying to get people to step away from the paycheck to paycheck cycle mm -hmm where they have a pile of bills and they're waiting for money to arrive. 
And we want to kind of flip that around, like pile of money waiting for a bill to arrive, and then you just pay it. And so what happens is we end up um, with, with just taking the money, and over time, it'll just kind of sit. And we call that aging, like uh, you know, if you're aging some wine or something like that. So as it gets older, we think that's better. And what you can look at, and the software calculates it for you, but what you can look at is say, okay, this dollar that I'm spending today, how many days ago did I earn this dollar, this specific dollar? And if you go back to your accounting days, you're like, oh, yeah, it's like inventory, you know, LIFO, FIFO stuff. And it's exactly like that. So you just you're tracking that. And you're saying, oh, well, I, I earned this dollar about 30 days ago. So your, your money's about 30 days old. And we try and get people to be 30 to 60, 90, you know, 60 days old. Um, people tend to have it be even older uh, as they go along. But uh, it's a liberating feeling to realize this dollar that I'm spending today I did not just earn it last Friday, you know, I, I earned it six Fridays ago and uh, or this was gosh This was four paychecks ago that I earned this money that I'm now using to buy milk and eggs, you know, so uh, it decreases the stress which increases the the uh, Solidarity in a relationship mm-hmm. when you don't have to introduce that stress suddenly the relationships easier talking about money's easier um, It literally helps you sleep better and it helps you make better decisions because you're not under the gun, right? Yeah. You're, you know, when something does happen, like a pandemic, you know, suddenly you're, you're thinking, oh, I have time, you know, okay, I was just furloughed or my hours were cut. We have time. We can figure this out where you're not just frantically, you know, grasping at whatever uh, and making suboptimal decisions. I totally agree with that, too. I think that the pandemic has really exposed a lot of weaknesses in our financial lives. It's been really interesting to see from personal and a business side. That's been really fascinating from the perspective of somebody that is truly living paycheck to paycheck and is possibly even maybe a couple months behind on utility bills and their Internet bill. And they're hearing this and they're like, oh, my God, I wish that was the case. Like, I wish I could get ahead. How do we how do we get them caught up? Do you have any like tips there? The, the only thing that we, well, we do the same thing, whether you are three months ahead or three months behind, whether you're making 300 grand or 30 grand a year, we have people say, what do you have on hand right now? And they'll try and tell you they're going to earn money in a few days. They'll try and step away from that and get to like that forecasting mode. But we just said, no, no, what do you have on hand right now? And then what do you need to do with this money before you're paid again? And they'll say, well, I'll get paid on Friday. They try immediately. They try and get away from that and say, well, (laughs) This is coming soon. You're like, I don't care. I don't care if it's coming in five hours. We're doing this right now. What do you need to do before you're paid again? And even people that uh, that we've worked with that really, they're in a bind, right? I mean, they're yeah. it's really bad. The feeling of control that they experience in that moment is real. Once they've assigned all, you know, they have $100 to their name and they've said, well, I do need to put some gas in the car and I do need to get some food and I think I can pay half of this one bill. Well, that's a start, you know, mm-hmm. and you get them to prioritize just that you get the control even if you don't have, you know, what you what you're saying is you don't have enough right now, but you get that feeling of control because you are proactively saying Here's what I'm going to do. And then when a collector calls or the utility company calls, you can say, I have a plan. Your bill is third in line. I am digging out of a hole here, but I have a plan. I see light at the end of the tunnel. You'll see payments coming from me in, you know, in about four weeks. Um, I'm working my plan. It will work. 
that kind of thing. So you're giving them assurance, right? And uh, you're saying you're you're going to dig out of this. It's just going to take some time. Most, you know, 95% of companies will definitely work with you if you're proactively telling them, I've got a plan, I've got a budget, I'm working it, I just need a little bit of time. They're they're ready and willing to help. So, um, and then you have someone else, and this is the crazy thing, that $300,000 income, mm-hmm. they're dealing with the same emotions, which oh, you almost don't even want to say because you're like, my word, pity party, you know, not not pity at all, but just the same emotions of I'm out of control. What is going on? Why is this happening? The same emotions, even though there's so many more zeros tacked on in that situation. So we do the same thing. Well, okay, here's how much money you have. What do you have to have it do before you're paid again? And we uh, we do the same thing, get them that same feeling of control where they feel like they're empowered and they're being proactive and they can take next steps. Beautiful. Yeah, it's rarely about the money. It's more about that feeling of of control and especially for people that are legitimately living paycheck to paycheck. I, I get a lot of emails from people that are living that way and it is it is stressful. It really is. But I oh, think absolutely. it's more than anything, as you mentioned, it comes down to that that peace of mind of knowing I have a plan and it will work. I just need to be patient. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you, you hit on something that I want to dive into. So the person that's making the like a decent amount that it should on paper be doing okay, but still struggles financially. I hear a lot of high income earners specifically say, I just need to make even more money. I'm a great money earner. I don't need to manage. I just need to continue earning more money. Is that the case for some people or is that just a, a huge myth? Oh, it's a myth. That's an absolute myth. Um, more money might help if you're on that lower end, right? Yeah. Um, but even then, if you haven't learned how to manage it, you'll you'll be in the same issue. Maybe not quite as urgent, maybe not quite as acute, but you'll still be there. Um, you know, they do these studies, and I can't remember who did the study that was uh, basically asked people of all different income levels, how much more would you need to just be like, okay, now I'm set. And they all basically landed on double. If I just could hmm. earn twice as much money, I'd be set. And whether they were making 40000 or 250000 it was the same. I think, oh, man, double. That'd be really magical, you know? And so we have this idea that, like, oh, it's all about the inflow. And, I mean, I don't know. Go, go puncture a, a bucket, you know? Find a five-gallon bucket, put a couple holes in it, and uh, fill it up, and then just carry it around. And then make a bigger bucket and, you know, put bigger holes in it and see what happens. Like this (laughs) is what's going on all the time. It's just like, you're just, you're leaking here. You're leaking at the end of the day. The person that think this is kind of crazy. You have someone making $60,000 a year that squirrels away $10,000. So they live on 50. We'll ignore taxes, Mm -hmm. right? You have someone that's making $600,000 a year that spends $600,000 a year in, in 30 years, there won't even be a difference. Like, I mean, I mean, there won't even be a comparison, I should say. So true. The, the person that made a tenth of it is going to be so much further ahead. Now, could the $600,000 earner get there faster and have an easier time saving more? Absolutely, because they're earning so much money. But at the end of the day, if it's all gone, it's all gone. And you have nothing to show for it. And the person that's making 60 living on 50 has something to show for it. You. One thing you asked earlier on, you're like, what kind of little hacks or tricks or tips? Here's one. Keep score often mm-hmm. in this. Whether you're paying off debt or building net worth, keep score very often. This is not a look at it once a month thing. When you're first trying to build these habits of carving out some money to set aside and invest or carving it out to 
throw out some debt and get rid of that. It's all the same. You're trying to make your net worth go up and that's the score. And if you want to keep score, you want to do it regularly. So it's just top of mind, top of mind. And that will change your behavior in ways that we could, I mean, you and I could sit here and, you know, shoot the breeze and be like, oh, it might make you do this. It might make you do that. But just having that top of mind, that will drive behavior change. How, how frequently do you recommend for somebody just getting started with budgeting? Daily, daily. Absolutely. Um, get in there every single morning, build it in with part of your routine. Maybe you have a coffee every morning or something. Fire up the budget on your phone. I know you're on your phone already, you know, so fire up the budget on your phone and just look at it. Scroll through it. That's it. Like you don't have to do anything. If you spent money, uh, you know, you're sitting there in the line at uh, Target or something, uh, pull out the app. It'll know you're at Target. Once you've done one transaction there, it'll know the next time it'll be like, oh, yeah, Target. Yeah. It doesn't say like, oh, Target, you're here all the time. What's going on? We don't do that yet. But, you know, <laughs> That'd be so great. We maybe though. should, you know. So, but we will recognize that. So we're like, oh, this person's at uh, Lowe's again. It's going to be home improvement. Yep. Uh, you know, we make it fast, but it's, we don't want it to be tedious, but we do want it to be frequent. And that's, that's the key. So this is simple, but it's not easy, right? right? So just a daily little habit. As you, ingrain those behaviors you don't need to worry about doing it daily but if you're thinking like oh, i don't know i might fall off the wagon i don't know then yeah daily yeah. make it part of a daily routine that never changes and you will be amazed at the stuff your brain comes up with when you start just being slightly obsessive over about oh you know over those daily transactions i love that you mentioned obsessive because that is it has such a negative stigma but i think it is such a powerful word to use when it comes to getting your financial life in order. I, whenever I talk to anybody that either paid off a ton of debt or they started to really transform their life, they were obsessive with their goals. They truly were. So I love that you mentioned that. Well, the opposite of obsessive is what? Head in the sand, ignoring, right, ignorant, yep. you know, laissez-faire. And so it's like, well, you did that for a really long time. So I don't think moving to the middle of the teeter-totter is going to change anything. You got to go to the yeah. far end to really get it going. I, I totally agree with that too. Okay, so for somebody starting out, checking every single day, how long should this actually take? Like I, I know a lot of people think they're sometimes well, busier than they are, but how long does this take? Uh, oh, the, the daily check? Oh, yeah. I mean, a few minutes. All of 2019, um, I recorded my transactions manually. I didn't like have our software connect with the bank or do anything fancy. I was like, nope, I'm gonna manually enter every transaction. Every morning I would go into my bank, I would look and I'd be like, oh, uh, you know, $70 here. Type, 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 type. Manually typing everything the whole time. I did it for all of 2019. And we don't have a few transactions. I mean, we're, you know, we have family, seven kids. Like there's stuff going on all the time. Mm -hmm. But at, at the end of the day, it was like a five minute thing. No. I just, I, I integrated it with the rest of my little, you know, miracle morning kind of flow, if you want to call it that. That's it's not cool. always miraculous, but, um, but yeah, that was it. And, I've never felt more in touch and just kind of in sync with my money. Yeah. It was easy to figure out what things were and why, why they came in because you had just done it the day before. It wasn't a load of work. It's like weeding in the garden. It's like, if you are you going to weed monthly? Good luck, mm -hmm. you know? But you weed, you weed daily? It's like it's almost, almost, almost perfect. That makes my nerdy heart so happy. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and then you'll know after a while where you're like, oh, I could probably look at this. Sunday mornings, you know? Yeah. Um, I hear that. Yeah. It, I mean, so, you, you can change the frequency once you get into that awareness mode. Yeah. I've had people doing this for a decade still. 
every morning just they just check it you know we do a super sneaky thing um we we teach everything for free so we run online workshops all day long every day like you can always find something that'll fit your schedule i think normally we run about 150 a week so there are a lot just always going wow and you would you would want to just start with a getting started workshop it's 25 minutes long and it is dialed in like when you when we start we don't waste 10 seconds of those 25 minutes you'll go to other kind of webinars and especially now with everyone kind of figuring out this remote stuff we've been doing remote for 14 15 years so our teachers they are efficient they any question you ask they have already seen mm, several hundred times at least so what i'm saying is these these 25 minutes are just so efficient and worth it and you'll see kind of how we take that those four rules and this way of thinking and then you'll see it implemented with the software so all that's always free it'll forever be free um and then the sneaky thing is we it does sell the software well so you'll see the method and you'll be like oh i like this this makes sense and then it's like well these people seem to know what they're talking about maybe they've done pretty good on the software as well and we have so the software is um, 84 bucks a year um or if you want to you're like ah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to commit that much. We do a 34 day free trial. If that's not enough, you know, go to monthly for a month. I think it's 12 bucks a month. And if after two months you're like, yeah, this is for me, then I would totally do the annual. So you save a little bit or just keep, you know, plugging along for a few months. But, um, you know, we're, we're in like the Netflix subscription range, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, when you have people write to you and say, Hey, um, you know, I've paid off $30,000 in debt this year. Or just my checking account was always near zero and now it sits at around $6,000 or I haven't overdrafted for a year and you consider that an overdraft fee is 25 bucks or whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, the 12 bucks a month or 84 bucks a year starts to seem like so pretty good value. Absolutely. Like every person that I've chatted with that uses YNAB has sing praises. So I wanted to, to give you that information because the work you're okay. doing is pretty cool. It's pretty awesome and very helpful. We love it. We love doing it. I believe it. All right, my friend, you need a budget.com is where everybody should go to hang out with you. Are you down for some rapid fire questions before we officially sure. part ways? I'll do my best. Okay, this is going to be I think I already know your answer to this one. What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Oh, it's my saw stop table saw. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, it's going to be woodworking watch. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's cast iron. It's super, It's square. It's level. It's heavy. Love it. I yeah. love that. That's amazing. Okay, where's one location you're dying to travel to? Uh, Thailand. Yeah, that's for some reason that's just on the list. I, I want to go there so bad. I do too. I think it'd be a fun place. Okay. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. I just find them to be really interesting. So what is your current morning routine? Uh, I work out first. I, that's always worked for me. Um, we have lots of kids, so they integrate into my routine, uh, without me even asking them to, but, uh, <laughs> work, work out first. Uh, then I make breakfast for, you know, for the kiddos and, um, we do kind of like a scripture study as a family, just a little bit of like a devotional. Um, we always pray as a family and then, um, that's usually my cue to head over, you know, get ready, head to the office. And then I have kind of my own, like, start of the day routine here at the office where um, I do just kind of some self-reflection, a little bit of reading. Um, one kind of unique thing maybe is I do 
I, I spend 25 minutes in a, in a hard book. So not one that's like, uh, you know, the latest pop psych or something like something that's a classic that stood the test of time that is hard for me to read in that, uh, you know, you have to think you have to reread sometimes what you just read, that kind of deal. So, um, my latest hard book was, uh, the black swan by Nassim Taleb and, uh, my current one is The Road to Serfdom by F.A. Hayek. And uh, yeah, I just try and stretch stretch my brain a little bit with the hard reading. So 25 minutes. I set a timer with Siri and then I start. And uh, yeah, I've been, I've been enjoying that, kind of trying to push on that a little bit with myself. What a great tip. I love that. Okay, my last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Well, it's so cliche. But you will get nowhere at all, ever, if you don't live well within your means. That's it. That's the secret. And uh, if you're living right at the edge where you don't, you know, you don't have any space between your means and your expenses, then when an opportunity comes your way, you don't even see it because you don't, you can't. It's like, oh man, I'd love to be able to get ahead, but I could never invest here or do that or take this job that's a little more risky because... I'm spending every dime I make always and forever. And you like you you will never, ever, ever, it's math, ever get ahead unless you can live on less than you make. Bam. Jesse Megan, thank you so much for your time. It was truly a pleasure chatting with you and getting to know you and learning from you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Whitney. It was an absolute pleasure. All right. What'd you think? I love this episode with Jesse. I thought it was so interesting to hear his four rules of budgeting and more importantly, how it has evolved for his life. I thought that was a really cool conversation and one that I really appreciated. All right. I'd love to hear from you. What did you take away? What's that one thing that you're going to carry forward with you when it comes to your financial life? Share your takeaways with me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And let me know what your takeaways were. All right. That's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Love you. Hope you're having a great week. And I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.